And now for a look at Ukraine's rich Jewish heritage, then and now, brought to you by the Ukrainian Jewish Encounter based in Toronto, Ontario. Regular listeners to Nasholos will be familiar with the name Ukrainian Jewish Encounter. This Toronto-based, privately organized, multinational initiative sponsors the long-running series on this show, Ukrainian Jewish Heritage. This series of vignettes, cultural capsules and interviews has opened a window on this hitherto little-known aspect of the Ukrainian experience. Alti Rodal is co-director of the Ukrainian Jewish Encounter. She is a historian, writer, former professor of Jewish history, and official advisor to the Government of Canada. She was educated at McGill, Oxford, and Hebrew universities in history and literature. Her research and writing has focused on aspects of identity, Jewish history and culture, and intercommunal relations. Alti has been instrumental in a project which began as an exhibition entitled A Journey Through the Ukrainian Jewish Encounter from Antiquity to 1914. It premiered in Toronto in 2015 and also traveled to Winnipeg, Edmonton and Montreal. In a recent Skype interview, Alti updated us on this project and other exciting initiatives. In Part 1, we discussed a soon-to-be-published illustrated catalogue of the 2015 exhibit and plans for an expanded exhibit in 2020 at the Royal Ontario Museum. In Part 2, Alti shares information about new collaborative projects promoting the introduction of content on Ukrainian Jewish history and heritage to museums in Ukraine. So, Alti, we had a great discussion last week about the exhibit, the traveling exhibit in Canada, and you're moving it to Ukraine. And this is part of the Museums in Ukraine project. So can you enlighten us about that? Yes, well, it's in the stage of formation. We don't have a concept fully developed yet, but the fact that there are other organizations that are doing related activities has come to our attention and we're a very small organization really and uh, the fact that we can build and work with other organizations is actually part of our own mandate. Uh, we don't want to duplicate what other organizations mm-hmm. do and therefore try to stay abreast of what, uh, what else is happening, who else is doing things that would advance our goals and mission. And uh, we found a number of such organizations and have approached them, and they are very interested in working with us, promoting uh, the introduction of content on Ukrainian Jewish history and heritage to Ukrainian museums in Ukraine. Uh, And I can speak about some of these Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. organizations that have already agreed to work with us. Um, uh, In some cases, it's not organizations, but individuals who have done very interesting work and are now in a state where they would like to transition out of further involvement in in the work they've done, but they don't want to lose the momentum that they've built and uh, approached the Ukrainian Jewish Encounter if there is interest in uh, taking their achievements and uh, moving them forward further. So one such case is an individual who is a child of survivors who lives in Denver, Colorado, whose father survived as a partisan in Volin during the war. And he came from a small town called Manevichi. 
after his father passed away, he traveled uh, with his son to visit this town of this ancestral home uh, of the family mm-hmm. and uh, wanted to find out something about the Jews who had lived there before the war. And so he, they went to the museum and befriended the museum director who said that uh, there wasn't much that he could share with that he had on the Jewish community, which was, in fact, the, the bulk, the majority of the, of the population of the town before the war, but that he would uh, welcome content, whether photographs or stories, that he would be happy to include these in his museum. So the fellow from Denver, whose name is Joel, thought of what what could he bring he's he wasn't he's not a historian but he's got the talents in uh, imaging and putting together posters of interest and uh, working with photographs uh, so he found the memorial book uh, for the town which was written in Israel in Hebrew in the 1960s which had photographs in it and he took out a number of these photographs uh, improved them digitally and produced some posters to make the story short, uh, he improved them again in the course of the next few years, and um, the museum director decided to submit this uh, little exhibit on Manevici and a few other towns in Volin uh, to the Festival of Ukrainian Museums, which takes place once every three years and brings together some 300 museum directors from all over Ukraine. Wow. He submitted it as an entry for a prize. And uh, to everyone's great surprise, it won first prize. <laughs> and uh, and thereby, uh, he attracted attention from uh, many museum directors who approached him to do the same for their town. And this ties in with something that you had said, that there is an interest, even a hunger, uh, for restoring the, the memory of uh, Jew communities where they had once been a significant part of the population. And now there are no Jews left in these towns. Yeah. So the um, the result was that uh, uh, Joel, who works full time and uh, invested his own money in uh, producing this exhibit that won the prize, uh, felt somewhat overwhelmed. He was in no <laughs> position to start doing this for all the towns no that expressed interest. Uh, so through several channels, he was led to the Ukrainian Jewish Encounter. He called me and told me all about his project. And as I learned more and more about it, I saw a real potential there for doing something important in Ukraine. And uh, this is how this evolved into um, not just exhibits, but also educational and commemorative dimensions. Um, That's one uh, source. Another source was the uh, Protecting Memory Project which uh, started in 2010, the American Jewish Committee had received uh, funds from Germany, from the Claims Conference, to do something in the realm of commemoration. And they embarked on a pilot project to build um, protective spaces and monuments at several mass grave sites. Uh, They chose five places uh, and worked on this for five years. And then in 2015, they invited individuals from around the world to join them in participating in the commemorations at these locations. And I was one of the people invited and uh, was very impressed by the reception that these three buses that uh, were on the tour 
uh, how they were received in each of the five places and the commemoration ceremonies that took place there. In almost every case, the ceremonies were organized by local teachers and their students, and it involved the cooperation of the mayor and the religious leaders and, of course, the parents of the students. So we had large uh, gatherings at each of these commemorations and very moving. And uh, I was uh, so impressed that the local people were so committed to these uh, to participate in these dedications. In one instance, we were delayed for almost three hours, and uh, we nonetheless went to the village where we were expected. And when we arrived, it looked to me like the whole village was out there waiting for us for three hours. Uh, small children, families around supper time, they should have gone home, mm-hmm. but uh, they were there waiting for us. So this is a good sign to me of the interest in acknowledging the strong ties that Jews and Ukrainians had had in these places in the pre-war years and remembering uh, what had happened to them. Right. Now, and this was uh, this project um, of of these the mass graves. Um, this was in the news back in, in 2010, 2011. It was Father Dubois, correct? Yes, and he was involved in the Protecting Memory project. In fact, uh, the first location was one that he writes about, uh, Rabbi Ruska, uh, in his book, uh, Holocaust by Bullets. And he was present uh, with his uh, people uh, at uh, that uh, commemoration. Indeed, yes. Now, the, the fact is that um, there are not one or, or ten or a hundred such sites in Ukraine, but uh, up to 2,000. 2,000 mass graves, up yeah. Up to 2,000. I mean, that's the higher number. 1,000 is the lower number. Wow. Uh, different organizations uh, have uh, their ways of, of assessing the numbers. Uh, the Yad Vashem uh, counts several mass grave sites that are in one general location as one, and that's how you get the 1,000. Wow. And those who count each one uh, reach the... 2000 number. And it's, it would be a massive, massive project to try to commemorate all these places uh, sure. with the proper monuments. But uh, the idea that one might advance uh, such commemoration at 100 over the course of a three-year period is, though ambitious, it's doable. Right, right. It could start what we hope would be a grassroots movement to do this in other places by the local people. Mm-hmm. And you've seen some of that already. You were telling me about one site that was uh, commemorated or, or was marked, I guess, uh, just with with a, an old truck or something. Yes, I, I, well, this is actually the site of uh, of my own family's uh, mass grave site. Uh, I have three, three grandparents oh. in a mass grave site uh, in the Chernivtsi area. I've written several articles about this. The story is that I was born in Chernivtsi after the war and went back in 2001 and through a series of coincidences and really unexpected coming together of uh, incidents, uh, I uh, ended up in front of the mass grave uh, at uh, in this uh, village uh, near Chernivtsi. And it was in a valley that uh, there was a a bit of, of a wreckage of a truck that was put in the middle of this valley to mark it as a site that must not be cultivated. All around this little valley are cultivated sunflower fields, 
which were very dramatic that summer when I when I saw them. And then there is this uh, spot that uh, the local people know well and do not uh, cultivate. So the memory is there. I ended up coming back to the village uh, at least six times that summer while I was living in Chernivtsi and uh, interviewing elderly people, Mm -hmm. uh, all of whom gave very uh, moving uh, testimony of what they remembered as uh, children or teenagers uh, some of them were in their, you know, the late teens, and they had good memories of events. I have all this on video, actually, and have shared it with Father Desbois' documentation center, uh, but have also used it in um, in the write-ups in my articles. Uh, the the villagers, the elderly villagers, uh, uh, they had uh, very emotional reactions mm-hmm. to telling the stories to me. And, and uh, receiving me as a long-lost daughter of, of the town, of the village. Oh. Alti, I can't imagine what you must have experienced encountering that site. Thank you so much for sharing this story. As a lot of people don't like to share, they just want to forget and move on with life. And that's sometimes, you, can't, you can bury things, but they tend to kind of come back, don't they? Yeah, and they are they are coming back now uh, with the younger generation of scholars uh, to to begin with, who are uh, finding these stories in the archives, in oral history, in all kinds of records, uh, whether it's German records or Soviet records. If you don't trust one source of the records, uh, you have to look at the different sources and cross-reference them, and and the truth comes out. Right, it always does, yeah. So you've mentioned a couple of of, um, aspects of this museum's in Ukraine project, and uh, you've also mentioned that you're working with others, with other organizations. And there were a couple, actually, that one of them that we had featured, uh, Peter Baker had done a feature on the Remember Us organization. They're involved with planting trees um, to commemorate the Holocaust, and just uh, very recently, I was introduced to uh, to Julia Kosursky, and uh, we had a number of long conversations. And uh, I found that the approach that they've adopted was one which uh, which was uh, highly educational and grassroots. And uh, they were doing this on a shoestring budget mm-hmm. uh, and reaching out, especially to young people, high school kids. Uh, who become uh, local docents uh, for uh, the wider community at exhibits, modest exhibits about the history uh, of the Jews in their location, their town or village. And they also bring people to visit the local mass grave sites. And one of the results of this is that uh, in those locations, uh, the mass grave sites are respected. There's a monument there, or there's a fence around the area, and people know what that site is about. In contrast with other locations, where there are even places where the local mass gravesite is a garbage dump, oh. and and I suspect that the local people are just not aware of what that site is is all about. And yeah. if they knew about it, um, they couldn't leave it in the in the state that it's in. Right. And as when spring comes. There's others in Ukraine who are going to be looking into these mass grave sites, uh, which have garbage dumps. uh, uh, We know about them, 
because there was a, a young German photographer who in 2011 went around photographing these the sites of atrocities and uh, found these dumps, uh, which, uh, which were exhibited uh, at a conference in Kiev uh, last October, a conference on Babinyar. And he wanted to show that there are other smaller uh, sites than much smaller sites than Babinyar, but that should also not be forgotten and neglected. Uh, So out of this, uh, hopefully there will be a correction of this uh, lack of respect for human life. Yeah, Yeah. lots of work ahead. Yeah, there's a a great deal to do. And the Ukrainian Jewish Encounter, as I say, is a small organization hoping to inspire that needed actions be taken, which would help in the healing of uh, the rift that has become after World War II especially, Mm -hmm. which needs to be healed. Yes, and you're doing great work at Ukrainian Jewish Encounter to to do that. So, Alti, if somebody listening now is inspired to learn more and perhaps even lend a helping hand to one or more of these projects, what would you recommend they do? For a start, they should check out our website, learn more about the organization, Mm -hmm. ukrainianjewishencounter.org, and uh, it includes contact information. Uh, and uh, the contact person there is very reliable to pass on the information to those in the in the organization who are most suited to respond. Mm-hmm. And so that's the way to do it. Ukrainian Jewish Encounter One Word dot org. Simple. And yeah, there's there's a lot of just um, a fair warning to anybody who hasn't been to that site. There's a lot of information, so plan to spend a lot of time, and it will be well worth every single second. So thank you so much, Alti, for sharing your thoughts, your stories, your your personal stories, as well as uh, letting us know all the wonderful work that's going on at Ukrainian Jewish Encounter. And thank you again on behalf of myself and our listeners for sponsoring Ukrainian Jewish Heritage. It has been an eye-opener and uh, been wonderful to be able to do this series. Well, thank you very much, Paulette, for having the interest and including this interview in your series. Oh, my pleasure, and I look forward to speaking to you again in the future. Thank you so much, Alti. Thank you. Ukrainian Jewish Heritage is brought to you by the Ukrainian Jewish Encounter, based in Toronto, Ontario. To find out more about their work, visit their website and follow them on Facebook and Twitter. Transcripts and audio files of this and earlier broadcasts of Ukrainian Jewish Heritage are available at their website, ukrainianjewishencounter.org, as well as at the Nasholos website, www.nasholos.com. Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.